All right. Hello. Welcome back. This is Colin Keeley. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. So I'm trying to get more organized with this podcast. So this one, I actually sent over like a list of five possible topics we could talk about. I figure we just go down it. So I influenced you and you uh, start taking <laughs> magic mind. <laughs> so I'm easily influenced when it comes to drugs. I mean, it's so you, so give me the story. How did magic mind find you? Uh, so just Twitter, I'm sure they're just looking at Twitter and trying to find people with over like, I don't know, five, 10,000 followers. And they DM'd me saying, Hey, would you like this? And we'd love if you posted an honest review after you tried it. So it's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. It's like $5 a pop. And they sent me probably 30 of them. And so, yeah, I tried it. I like it. I am kind of a big fan of trying all these different new tropics. And I have a bit of like a controlled setting with COVID where I know there's like zero variability to my day. So mm -hmm. I tried Magic Mine and I enjoy it. I probably drink too much coffee. So I'm trying to wean myself off of that a little bit. And I just got about Qualia Mind, which is what people used to use before Magic Mine. They seem very similar, but it's like you have to consume seven of these uh, kind of fishy tasting pills. And Magic Mine is just a, like a little grass shot, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So... This is a whole new category as well. So you, I think you just sent me like, Hey, check this out. Uh, these guys reached out to me. I, I love this kind of stuff. So I was on the bandwagon when MCT oil was really popular or was gaining popular, like the bulletproof coffee craze. I never really got into the bulletproof coffee per se, but I'm a big coffee drinker would normally drink like four to five cups a day, you know, three in the three in the morning and then maybe two in the afternoon. And I would say like the MCT oil thing that, that worked really well. It was like this clean energy. You didn't have the crash from coffee, but it would just wreck my stomach. And that tends to be the, yes. uh, the downside to a lot of these, these um, I don't know what to call them performance enhancing, you know, I, they're not FDA approved. We don't know if they actually work. It, it's possible that there's a lot of placebo in them. Um, although I, I did feel tropics is the term for like improving cognition. Yeah. Great. Nootropics. And then there's another category which can talk about, which is euphorics. I don't know if you're, uh, I don't know if Kin, the drink, um, coined that, but that was like a whole, you know, it, I, I've never tried it and it, it, it is its own brand and it is very like DTC looking in the sense that everything's very well designed, but also sells for like 50 bucks a, a case or in, again, I don't even know how many come in there, but so I've um, done Kin. Have you tried it? You just I, said you haven't, right? I have not, but I've heard it's terrible. I heard it tastes terrible, but I, I, that's purely from one person's opinion. What did you think? It doesn't taste good. Uh, it's a little <laughs> cough syrupy, and then it is very potent. Like I just Ooh. had one glass, and it's like this is probably bullshit, right? Placebo. It it is definitely not uh, placebo. It wow. really kind of knocked me out, and it's supposed to. Uh, like, I don't know if this is foo foo to some extent, but like adapt you to your setting. So if everyone's drinking and you have kin, you should be energetic. If you have it on the couch, which is what I did, it was uh, definitely a sedative. It just kind of completely knocks you out after just one glass. Yeah. So under, under the, the, the layer, so nootropics are a category of drugs, right? So it's like, I think tobacco and caffeine could be, could they be considered a, a nootropic? Uh, I would probably say so. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, either way, um, the magic, going back to the magic one, I, so I bought a case just for, you know, for fun and uh, they were really nice. They were caught up in a, 
you know, all the USPS debacle over the holiday. So I ordered it at probably a week after, no, right around the week of, of Christmas. And I got it, you know, a week or two later and they were, they were su- super nice about um, giving me an update. So I try it and it was great. You know, it was like, <laughs> I like that they have you try it with, you know, be sure to try it with your, your coffee or your caffeine in the morning. But it did have uh, an effect and it didn't wreck my stomach. So I'm definitely a, a supporter. I'm going to keep trying it, keep using it. I, I would say, again, I tried MCT oil. That was great, but destroyed me. And then I, I tried Alpha Brain, which is, I think, a similar type of concoction. Different. I think it's based in different things, but it's a lot of like the same. Like we're going to mix a bunch of, I think, vitamin B and then you know, a handful of other things. And it's this cocktail and that would wreck my stomach as well. So I had to totally stop doing that but i'm a fan the magic mind it, it tastes kind of gnarly but it's a, just a shot and it once you i think after the third one i started kind of craving it it has this like very citrusy um mushroomy earthy flavor mm-hmm. but you just kind of you know shoot it and chase it with some coffee and then i got a lot more out of it and so I think the thing that that strikes me with all this stuff is like are we all just trying to get like light you know light meth buzzes right is that like the thing that because it's it's funny and i don't want to uh throw my my dad on the bus but he's in his 70s and he was in college or you know he was studying in the 60s and he was just like yeah we used to take uppers all the time you know we had a test and we would just study for days and it was like what like are you which I think essentially was some form of methamphetamine. It was just really, really common in the sixties for, you know, students, truckers, all sorts of people to, uh, and I think it was a lot more normalized to take sort of study drugs. And obviously that evolved in its own way and it became much more taboo, but I feel like is, is that what we're all, we're trying to find like a healthy, obviously I think if you take meth, it, it has a pretty negative impact on your health. So it's like we're trying to find these natural versions that get you sort of closer to that peak state. And so I'm obviously um, some of these drugs that can be really powerful and, and dangerous. And and I do think they're when I looked into nootropics, sorry to rant on here, but there's one and I might be saying this wrong. It's modafinil, mm-hmm. but it's by its trade name, which is Provigil, which is like I think like a fighter pilot drug. They give them to you. You know, if you're going to run an all-night mission or you're going to be up for 12 hours, they'll, they'll, they'll give you something like that. So it's like this stuff is, I think, still can be pretty powerful. Um, and and I do know that Provigil is like a Schedule Four drug. Yeah, so this is, I mean, I didn't really prepare for this, but I did read this book <laughs> a long time ago uh, called uh, Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. And mm. it goes through like all many of the most creative people in history. And tons of them had uh, substance abuse. I don't know if issues or habits is probably more accurate. Hmm. And a lot of them did take some variation of an upper. And then many of them took a downer to counteract that stuff. And they're actually most productive when they weren't you know, doing heavy drugs. Hmm. So they would do all this stuff and probably artists are more drawn to it than others. And then they go off it for like a month. And that's actually when they're generally most productive. Wow. Um, but it was a fun little book. It's uh, like every little you know, sequence that people do is on like two pages. So you pick it up, you read a little bit, you put it down. But I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I mean, I've looked into, you know, once you start with caffeine, I feel like it's, that is really the gateway drug. It's like, once you start kind of feeling that rush from the caffeine and you get this like euphoric feeling and you're more productive and 
And now for me, it's like, I don't really feel that it, it just kind of like gets me back to normal after, you know, as I always complain about on the podcast is, you know, with a, an 18 month old and we're just, just getting out of the, the woods with sleep. It's like, that was my, my lifeline is like getting coffee in the morning after, you know, four to six hours of sleep in a night is like the only way I could return to normal. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs talk about it because it is taboo, but I mean, obviously there's more of a, a community around this like microdosing thing. I think there's a lot of people that I've heard anecdotally that, you know, THC affects them or CBD affects them in different ways. And I, I don't know, have you tried feels the, the CBD service that, you know, has a flight that allows you to, you know, they have like a, a good, better, best dosage that they kind of recommend. And they, they send them out as like a $20, try each one of them once. Have you, have you tried that at all? I haven't. That seems like a cool gift. I'll look into that. I've had a bunch of the CBD drinks. You know, Recess is probably the best branded one. And then Mars or something like Mars is a mm. local Chicago uh, like distillery that's producing some that I had that this week, actually. I enjoy it. Like It's kind of, if you're trying not to drink at night, but it's like a nice little cocktail, you feel a nice little yeah. calm. It doesn't impact your sleep. Actually, I've noticed my heart rate variability is significantly better. So higher is better for that. And with an aura ring, you could test it and it seems to improve your sleep at night if you take it early enough because you don't want liquid too close before bed. Sure, sure. Yeah, you might like the feels thing. So they have their heaviest dose, which they recommend for kind of before bedtime. And it's one of those, um, I forget the name for what the technique is called, but it's, you, you basically have a tincture of it and it's an oil that sits under your tongue for 30 seconds and it, it tastes kind of gross, but um, you know, it's just a, a small amount. So you don't have to drink a whole 12 ounce can or something. But yeah, I, I do feel like there's always this drive to be get back into that flow state. And it, I think to your point around the book you're reading, it's like the best way to get there is probably naturally. But I think we all get kind of wired and rewired in different ways. That makes it even harder. It's like good sleep, um, you know, working out and a, a strong diet like that should work. But a lot of people, you know, struggle with that. Even myself, like I can't control my sleep sometimes and there, I can only go to bed so early and um, you know, things happen. I have a, a little one who, who sometimes loves to get up at 3am and want to party and it's like, you just can't shut it off. So it's, you can see why you would want to reach for some, you know, sort of synthetic way of, of getting you into that, into that state. Or I shouldn't even say synthetic because I do think a lot of these things are natural, all natural ingredients, but you know, by putting something from the outside world in your body. But I don't know. I'm a fan. I, I'm going to continue to experiment. And I think, you know, if nothing else, I don't see myself stopping my caffeine intake um, anytime soon. And if they come up with something new, I, I guess the question to you is, is like, would you ever, you're down with the, the magic mind and these nootropics, would you ever if somebody came out with a pill, like a pharmaceutical that needed to be prescribed, but was deemed safe, would you ever try that? hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> the, the limitless safe, drug? Like, no question. I would do it. Uh, so my brother is actually super into this. He's got a Vivan script, uh, Adderall script, and he actually like, I don't, he shouldn't be doing this, but making pills in his basement and he's like <laughs> just like, a little pill, pill maker. So I don't take any stuff that he makes, but definitely uh, I enjoy you know testing it as long as it is safe. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I know that for me, uh, I've taken Adderall or something, you know, I've, once or twice, and I just turn into an asshole. Like I really, um, I have, get a really short temper 
And I, I don't, I just, so I, I have to steer clear. That's so it's, it's weird. It's like, I can drink, I can, you know, take any, any sorts of drugs. And I, I'm usually, you know, I'm fine with that one for some reason, just my temper, like I just get so frustrated. So I steer clear of that one from just purely like a mood stabilization perspective, but sure. I, you know, would it be nice to be able to get more done in a day? Absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah. Everything seems to come with some sort of trade-off, but I guess that's where some of this more natural stuff, it's a little more tame and it's not gonna, you know, the, the magic mind didn't make me an asshole. So that's the good news. I, yeah, I don't think there is a trade-off with Magic Mind or some of these other new topics. Like Adderall, there certainly is. You become more irritable. You have more anxiety. Like you mm. don't eat as much. There's a lot of downsides to Adderall, but I don't really see any downsides with Magic Mind or any one of these. My next test for this week is I bought some matcha. Mm. I want to see if matcha has a similar effect by itself or if everything else in Magic Mind is actually needed to be in there. Like lion's mane and all that other stuff that they have. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Matcha is delicious. So um, we were going to talk about um, one thing that we're kind of going through with uh, this other business besides uh, avocado is, is formulated uh, the automation company. And as we're growing that one thing that I've been looking at is like, how do we include people? How do we include more people at an early stage? So we, we form the business, we have four total sort of partners and founders, I would call them. And so we, we, we've done that much and like looking at and thinking through as we meet people that are like subject matter experts or people that we want to be attached to the business. But like, you know, there's not, a, you know, we're not hiring people per se, but like, what are some good strategies for including more people in your startup essentially? Um, so on that note, I was curious, like, like do you have, have any experience with, and I know you had your other startup. Did you have any advisors or anybody that you brought on? Uh, so I have informal advisors, which I think are valuable, where it's just like other CEOs that are ahead of you, where you could bounce ideas off and ask for feedback. I think advisors that get equity but don't put in money are mostly bullshit and somewhat <laughs> like predatory in like these secondary or tertiary uh, locations for right. startups. I like, I think this is why we do the podcast. This is why I tweet. It's like just building in public. People like, you know, rooting for other people. They like following your story. And I think that is probably the easiest and best way to do it at scale where you get other mm. people involved and like cheering you on and trying to be helpful. Yeah, that's interesting. So in the case of Formulated, like I, I found that there are these sort of subject matter experts and people that have deep networks that can make introductions and, sure they probably could do that for free and just kind of out of the kindness of their heart but also want to like tie them in and, and get them a little bit more invested and it's like the thing i'm thinking about it's like somebody who's almost it wouldn't be a full-time role so it's almost like a part-time or fractional i don't even know if it would be like a mix between a strategy and salesperson but it's like how do we bring somebody onto the team give them some equity um, so I, like part of it would be maybe advisorship. And when I think of advisorship, I think, mm, you know, I think there's some advisors that it's a couple hours a month. And I think there's some advisors that it's a couple hours a week. Actually, I, I don't even know what that is. So like, what's the next step up past advisor? It's like board member is too deep and, you know, assuming they're not putting money in, but like it's early stage enough, you want to give them some sort of um, like they would almost participate on a project put in some work, 
but in lieu of cash, get some sort of equity compensation over a long period of time. And I'm wondering, it just, it seems like there, there are some interesting ways that you could do this, but I, I'm not sure like what's commonplace. I mean, I think cash is probably the best way to compensate these people. <laughs> Equity's yeah. like, you know, assuming the business does well and takes off, equity be the most expensive way you could compensate someone. Sure, sure. I, I do like, you know, we're, as we do with most of the, the businesses that we start, we use the the Auric guide and, or, you know, another way of putting it is using like Stripe Atlas to form up the company. So it's, you know, the, the founders all have four-year vest for the one-year cliff and it's like normal startup kind of recommended, recommended terms. And so, um, yeah, I'm wondering like, does it make sense for if somebody's hanging around and they're they're useful and you know add a lot of value for a, a certain period of time? Does that make sense to earn into the company or and then you know as it grows? I mean, we're at such an early stage with it where it's you know, there's a little bit of revenue, but it's not like enough to hire this person or really anybody full time until some bigger projects start hitting. So it's like crafting different ways to to incentivize someone to kind of like push on the momentum because like that's where the business is it's like the flywheel is stopped it's just started and this is the hard part it's like getting personal intros and putting your reputation on the line a little bit and um, making a recommendation of hey you guys should try this brand new company that is you know only has a handful of projects under its belt but look at the founders they're you know they're senior they they have a great track record yeah, I just I wonder if there's an interesting way to mix equity cash in also in the idea of like, hey, once we hit a certain point, you could come on as a as an employee. So I wonder if that's more so the the right way to to structure it where it's like, hey, there's it's not a founder spot, but it is sort of somewhere in between where, you know, you can come on as an early stage employee in, let's say, six months or three months, whatever that time is. I think we're going to see more of this. What you're basically describing is like a part-time employee and in a remote world where you're not, you're not required to be glued to your desk for like eight to 10 hours a day, you could have multiple jobs and like you could do all of them well. And so I think it would make sense to hire someone for 10 hours a week that's senior and you can't pay them, you know, I don't know if they want to make 400,000, you can pay them a hundred thousand mm. for working, you know, quarter of the time. Yeah, and they could do really good work and be really impactful, and they get you know equity and cash for the time they're putting in. I dig it. You know, I it, it's funny now that you say that. There are also people in this COVID time, and um, there are a couple that I know more so on like the web development and uh, design front. That there are a handful of people that I know that have two full time jobs that somehow their these other businesses don't know that they do and I, I don't know how they do it i think the only way to do it is just be really good at boundaries it's like again if somebody calls an all hands meeting it's really hard to say oh i can't make that or how do you get out of one meeting or another but i, I agree that the the fractional employee hopefully is is the thing of the future because i think people really crave variety and there are certain roles that like you just don't for certain stages of companies you don't really need to be 40 hours all in all week you know, it's like just coming in for, I think of like being able to set the ball, like think of a volleyball game, being able to set up the ball for someone else to spike it. It really doesn't happen every single time. It's like, you know, from here and there, uh, having like that extra boost is is of huge value. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is there anything else you want to cover on our list? 
Um, I feel like the the cold email uh, pitch has been really interesting. So we've been talking about the the cold emails that we've been sending out. Uh, this week we got a, we just started back up. So um, reaching out to people after the holidays is, and you changed the pitch. So we did a bunch of writing. We had a bunch of different headlines, and the one that seems to be winning is is like so much more passive. And we've gotten a couple of responses. I mean, other than take me off your list. Um, but like one person sent like a wonderful, like very thoughtful response. And so what was the change? Uh, so I initially was pitching, like, here's how we can help you, right? We'll be your automation arm and we're pitching logistics companies and we're getting no responses. Some of that was that we set it up a little oddly with you know, SendGrid and Google. I didn't realize it wasn't connected because it was connected in a different way. Um, so I had to fix that because it's really frustrating. We're getting no responses, but now we have some. And so that pitch of like, hey, I'm trying to sell you something. Let's hop on a call. It's a big ask and it's really hard to figure out from the outside whether this is useful to that specific company. Mm. So I changed it to, hey, uh, you know, I'm the founder of this. So it kind of gives you credibility. You're an early stage company. People want to root for you. And I'm thinking of doing this. And I think you could be in the target market, but you know, honestly, I don't really know, is this something that would be interesting to you? And that has been, it's a very small ask. I think people want to be helpful and that's proven pretty fruitful where people at least engage. It doesn't look like a cold email or like a mm. cold email at scale, which it is. I mean, we're blasting these out every day to quite a few people, but I, I feel really good about it. It's all written very in like a human way. Like it sounds like you, although I wrote it. Yeah. And people seem to enjoy it. It's definitely more my my style too. I'm not a hard selling salesperson. So it's like, it's, I'm very much more of like a cooperative sales kind of, and frankly, I'm more used to in my prior careers, like, or my prior businesses, people coming to me. That That's really how my first business, first two companies started. It was a lot of, there was just such high demand and people would come to me and I was really enjoyed that position of like oh yeah you know I, I get we get two or three inbounds a week and we can pick and choose what we want to do but the problem with that is that changes the market will shift and you, you don't really control your pipeline so this has been really encouraging to start getting some responses and also like setting the tone where it's like you're i mean they are doing me a favor but i think as you said you're kind of setting them up to feel good about it and then it's more of a consultative sale i think that now and the people that have responded have responded with real reasons why they wouldn't or would use something and it's like we're thinking through it together we're in this sort of like you know some i'm in the driver's seat they're in the passenger seat and like kind of having a conversation around around a topic but it, i feel like it that can easily transition I, I have an easier path to transition to it like Hey, I've been thinking about what you sent. What What do you think of this? And continuing the conversation, and then potentially leading them to a conclusion, right? So then they have the idea of like, hey, well, maybe we could engage. Maybe this is interesting. Maybe there is a solution here. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm actually, um, yeah, I'm excited to continue um, sending out these emails and seeing who who is able to respond. Yeah. Yeah, so I was talking to Josh. He had a different perspective. So it's basically send you know 25 ish a day for a week, and then. Uh, Monday through Friday, and then nothing really on the weekends. And then the next week, send 50-ish a day. Mm. And then you never want uh, empty days. So you always have to have a big, big list because you never want to send zero emails. 
but after those two weeks, he, he's basically said you could be off to the races. You could send 500 a day, which I've never actually scaled wow. it to that point before, but I thought that was super interesting is that there's no, no high end. You could just keep going and going. Well, we'll have to work on our, our list building because we, we do have a lot of leads, but in the, only in the sense of if we're sending 50 a day, if we're sending 500 a day, we'll go through that in a, a couple of days. Yeah. And it may be so many conversations that like you'd have to hire someone to handle them all. <laughs> That's what I've been waiting for all week. So I'm ready. Put me in coach. Yeah. Hopefully next week, 50 a day. Then, like that's plenty. And then it's a, just a numbers game. Like we're starting to see uh, like five to 10% response rates and 50% open rates. Like that gets the volume pretty quickly. Excellent. Well, cool. Um, yeah. I think that's probably about it. Did you want to cover anything else? Uh, just this last thing. I, did you ever get on Clubhouse? There was a crazy discussion last night. I didn't. You know, I'm my wife is pushing me to go on a social media cleanse. So she oh, okay. she's like, you know, I wake up every morning and, and she's like, you wake up every morning and doom scroll, which is pretty <laughs> accurate. I grab my phone, I read top headlines, and then I hop on Twitter and it's just like outrage. And it it does put me in a pretty bad mindset. So this week I've been off of Twitter, off of the news i mean i do catch up with the news eventually but like it it's made a pretty positive impact other than you know physically being in a different location um i i think i might stick with it for a while not great That's for good. my networking but but i i do want to know the dirt what's the tea you gotta spill it uh so i i mute every like thing that could get me pissed off on twitter for the most part so it's more like tech focused stuff but last night all these san francisco guys like most of the founders fund folks just had a talk on like what the future of San Francisco is and, you know, how can we improve? And they're basically hating on the DA who's like kind of famous for not punishing anyone that can like steals anything below a thousand dollars. So Walgreens are just like completely ransacked at all times. Mm. I think home burglaries are up like 50% this year and 30% of the people are gone in San Francisco. So like the incidence rate is just super, super high, but anyway, they're all bashing him. And then he joined clubhouse. So <laughs> it was amazing. It was probably like an hour of him, you know, defending his record and them kind of trying to attack. And I, I don't know that much about this guy, but he is extraordinarily good at debating. So nice. it's like all these, you know, super smart tech folks, but not prepared whatsoever to go into like a real political debate with a polished politician. So they kept trying to, he's very slippery and he's very prepared with his talking points. And so they like couldn't pin him down. It was uh, awesome. And then Balaji, something like that. He was a CTO of Coinbase and a GP at Andreessen mm -hmm. joined. And then he was like, he's coming in firing. And so he was trying to pin uh, this guy down with specifics. And then the guy left within like five minutes. Oh, no. So they started getting heated. Um, but this is like the best social media experience I've probably had in like, I don't know, 10 years. It was just such a fascinating call to like, be a part of and now it's gone like there's no recording of it because uh, clubhouse doesn't allow it i mean maybe, maybe someone figured out a way but it's just i think there are three thousand people at the peak listening on this like pretty awesome conversation wow wow yeah i mean this is a a trend you're seeing in a lot of cities chicago has had a lot of the same things under uh kim fox uh which was it, it's hotly debated where hey uh you know, the, the bail amounts are incredibly low. I'm not trying to get into that conversation, but it is, and I don't know what his points were, but I do see, and I'm, this is my curse, which is why I'm not good at Twitter is I do see both sides of it where it's like, there is no 
real repercussion for a lot of low hanging criminality, I guess, which I wouldn't even consider one of the things we're seeing in Chicago. It's really bad. The carjackings. It's like people just getting, you know, whacked in the head with a you know pistol whipped and they take your car. Um, and unfortunately they're, they're, these people are usually getting released, but the point that I do see is that the inequity in bond, and I do believe that needs to be addressed. I don't think it's going well. And, and this is like anything in politics. It like it whips around the extremes and, and hopefully kind of ends up in, in the middle somewhere where it actually can be fixed. But these are, these are really tough problems. And I, I don't feel like um, I, ha- I would have a hard time hearing a bunch of complaints from tech bros, but not, not to call everybody a tech bro, but to call everybody a tech bro. I mean, it's like, it's so easy to kind of sit in a position where, um, you know, from sort of an armchair quarterback position and say, this is how things should be done. And then realize when you step into a role like the DA does, and you, you have to kind of serve the entire population, your, your, your limits to your decisions and the scope of your decisions are, are much more difficult. Yeah. So he basically took no responsibility and like threw everyone else under the bus, like uh, the government, the, you know, the police. And then, but he had a lot of really good points of like, this is a crazy bureaucracy that's super complicated. Like they still use faxes and all their data is on paper and they can't, you know, possibly analyze anything. Uh, They have a mainframe, like an actual mainframe that they still use. That's like 20 plus years old and they can't get data off of it. Uh, so, but he, I mean, he's very, very polished and very good at this, but he actually had some good points on like, this, this is a really hard problem. Like, I don't think he's probably trying to solve it in the right way that many people would agree with, but he's definitely not an idiot. He's not trying it. Like yeah. he, he is trying. Yeah. His, his wiki page, Chessa Budin, is that his name? Is that correct? Yeah. It's Chessa. It's a odd Chessa. name. Yeah. Yeah, so his his wiki page is I don't know how accurate it is, but it, it makes it sound like he comes from a very strict Marxist family. It says Boudin descends from a long left wing lineage. His great and grand uncle Louis Boudin was a Marxist theoretician and author of two volume history of the Supreme Court's influence on American government. And his grandfather was also an attorney represented Fidel Castro and Paul Robeson. So it's like I don't know how much that affects or what, but apparently his parents. He grew up in Chicago. His parents were. Part of the weather underground which i believe was a uh, uh a very militant radical left-wing militant organization in the 60s yes i think they went to prison for killing someone oh um, geez yeah this is part of the, this is an interesting part of as we look at the the tumult right now and you're like oh this is so unprecedented it's like actually not super unpre- unprecedented this has been going on it's just you know the, the 60s and 70s were starting to look very similar right now yeah, uh, he, I, I'm not going to vote for him, but he is very, very good at what he does. I think he's going <laughs> to have a much larger national presence soon. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Well, that's cool. That's a, a great thing for Clubhouse. I mean, I think those are the types of discussions that I'd love to hear about versus, you know, some of the, uh, I, again, I haven't really been on Clubhouse, but you hear there's also just like some people going on, you know, racist or anti-Semitic rants. So hopefully there's more conversation and discourse like that where it's, even if it gets heated it's like that's where social media works versus you know talking about what also happened this last week parlor getting shut down which there's also hilarious this is the last thing i did read on twitter was there's a hilarious thread on technically kind of hearing about how twitter uh, not twitter how parlor imploded 
due to just a lack of technical understanding. It's that they basically ran out of rows in their database because they didn't know there was a maximum <laughs> number of rows. So anyways, it's a, uh, it's good for there to be this back and forth. I think it's really important. And uh, hopefully people don't, you know, go off and we'll see what happens with social media in the next, I think next year, we're going to see some major changes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that's good. Uh, on that note, you know, take care. <laughs> on that note, thanks for listening. <laughs>